Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Classic Hollywood Memories podcast. And today I wanted to do an episode on Ginger Rogers. Yes, the great Ginger Rogers, uh, legendary dance partner of Fred Astaire. And just to talk about some of the other achievements that she had in her career and how it all began for her. And it's interesting, when you look at Ginger Rogers' career, if you really want to look at a timeline for how Hollywood transitioned from the uh, silent era to the talking pictures to the Great Depression and into the Golden Age, which was from the late 30s all the way through the beginning of the early 60s, Ginger Rogers featured prominently in that whole era. And it's interesting because when you look at 1933, which is when her career really took off, and through prior to that, as with most of the other big names that we know today, prior to that, they all were toiling in big pictures and supporting roles. And Ginger Rogers, of course, is no different. So when you look at her career from beginning in the early 30s, she did her output at that time was very prolific, did a lot of movies, a lot of supporting roles. But when you look at her, she definitely had something that stood out. She was obviously a gifted comedian, you know, wisecracking diva in some of those early pre-code pictures. And when you see that, obviously, there's something alluring and attractive on, about her on screen. So obviously, the talent was there, but you could tell that the studios in that beginning didn't really know how to use her. So you could see they were trying to put her in different combinations and a lot of those um, Broadway type of movies, you know, like, for example, The Great 42nd Street in 1933 which is where she really got that uh, notice or that acclaim. But she still didn't become a big star yet. You know, it's interesting, in 42nd Street, the ones that actually transcended into stardom was actually Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell. And, you know, rightfully so, because, you know, they were the centerpiece of the story. But Ginger Rogers still showed something along with Uma Merkel, and that was that wisecracking comedian, comedic talent. So obviously there was something there, and... Just looking at her output from the early 30s, she did a good amount of movies there. But of course, 1933, what happened later on, a few months later after the success of 42nd Street, you know, seeing at all those principal actors, they all did well. They struck gold with that picture. It was a major hit that year, nominated for Best Picture. So a few months later, they rep tried to replicate that success with Gold Diggers of 1933. And of course, Dick Powell, Ruby Keeler, Ginger Rogers were all back in that one. And of course, this one was even more spicier and better because Joan Blondell was in this one as well. Again, Ginger played that role to the T. Comedian, she had a good one-liners in that picture, but of course the plot wasn't centered around her character, but she did add some zest to the scenes that she appeared in. You know, of course... Joan Blondell was already a big star at this point. She was doing movies with Glenda Farrell. Of course, Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell were trying to build on that success of uh, 42nd Street. Of course, Ginger, again, did well in her uh, supporting role, but she didn't transcend to that stardom yet. But of course, what happened at the end of the year in December, Flying Down to Rio debuted. And of course, they, she had another supporting role, this time with Fred Astaire, but the plot was centered around Dolores Del Rio and Gene Raymond. But what happened? When this movie debuted, it was a hit, but not because of the principal actors, the, the co-star, the main stars. It was actually because 
Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire's character, they stole the movie with their dancing and, you know, especially the karaoke. So, you know, of course, that movie was transcendent because there was some actually some special effects that were done. And it was, a, you know, a good movie for its time. You know, of course, when you look at it now, it looks very dated, but you can see the foundation, how the audiences were able to uh, gravitate towards what Ginger and Fred had done. And of course, the studios recognizing that because, you know, you have to build on that success, you know, with all the previews that they did. You know, Irving Thalberg was a genius in really pioneering that. So the studios, when they put Flying Down to Rio out there, the audiences really responded, especially to Fred and Ginger. So the studios knew that they had something here, so they had to build on it. So what did they do? Since they had so much success with the Busby, Busby, uh, Busby Berkeley musicals and all the combination of the different choreographies and the stars that they used, they had good success with that. So by then creating movies based on the dancing of Fred and Ginger, if they could create musical center on that, they figured, hey, if we can make a, a major hit here, and that's exactly what they did. And it, the rest was Hollywood history. In 1934, they did The Gay Divorcee. That was another major hit. And altogether, in that decade of the 30s for Ginger, she became a big star. And she ended up surpassing uh, the, what Joan Blondell, uh, Ruby Keeler, and Dick Powell had done up to that point. So again, this shows you that if you're patient and hardworking, and thankfully she was, and of course, when you have a good management team on your side like she did, she stuck it through and... She became a major star along with Fred. And of course, a lot of people like to try to dis, uh, compare and say who was the greater of the two. Was it Fred or was it Ginger? But I look at it this way. They both were great, of course. But you got, in a sense, you have to give Fred a little bit more of the credit because he was able to replicate that success in dancing with other prominent actresses. For example, in those 1930s, while he was doing those movies with Ginger, he did other movies with... Uh, Eleanor Powell, and then down the line, of course, Rita Hayworth. Then uh, further than that, he did movies with Sid Charisse, of course, Judy Garland. So in that sense, and just dancing, of course, you know, I'd have to say Fred, you know, has the edge there. You know, he was great with whoever what his partner was. But Ginger, the reason why I wanted to do the podcast, the episode on her today, was because sometimes, well, at least in the majority of the time, the, her, the rest of her career gets overlooked. It's like she people just mainly focus on her career with Fred, the dancing. But if you were just to remove the 10 movies that they did together and just were to analyze the rest of her career without Fred, she still would have been a legend. That still would have qualified her. And how do we know? When just looking at her catalog, of course, in the 1930s, she was doing those movies with Fred and they were all major money makers. And by the way, some of my favorites on those, I, I think the two best was Top Hat and Swing Time. And Swing Time actually was in the last time the American Film Institute did the 100 Greatest Movies. Swing Time made it to that list. So, you know, it still has an impact today. It was a transcendent uh, movie. But my personal favorite was actually The Barclays of Broadway. And this was really great because this was 10 years removed from their last picture together, 1949. And of course, it was their only movie that they did together in color. And at that time, MGM was perfecting the, uh, excuse me, the CinemaScope, the color sequences was terrific at that time. Of course, it would get even better in the 1950s, but 
just seeing them together, you know, in their prime, you know, it was 10 years removed. I mean, it was terrific. Ginger still didn't lose a step. Fred, of course, was magnificent. But it was good to see that they both had achieved success aside from their partnership. And I think that's what they really wanted. They didn't want to just be uh, pigeonholed and remember just for being good dancers. And so I give them credit for that. They were willing to expand their craft. And I think that's how they became legends. They didn't want to just stick with what worked. They didn't, weren't just in it for the money. They wanted to harness their craft. And when I do a, a future episode on Fred Astaire, I'm going to expand on how he did the same thing. He wanted to be known as just more than a dancer, and he achieved that as well. Well, back to Ginger, just looking at all that she accomplished. You know, in the 1930s, you know, she did the success 42nd Street, Gold Diggers of 1933. But in between that, in the 30s, she had a lot of good comedies here. You know, when you look at it, for example, comedies and dramatic roles, like there's one, a very underrated picture that she did in 1935 with William Powell, and that was Star of Midnight. Now, Star of Midnight is not as known today, but yet it's very comparable to the success and to the, the theme of the Thin Man series. And that's why I think I recommend it. There's one of those pictures from her early 30s works that people should take a look at. It was that one, Star of Midnight. She did a fabulous job there, of course, with the great William Powell. But there was other noteworthy pictures here, aside from her pairing with Fred, for example, when you go further down the line, she was also able to do Stage Door, you know, 1937 with Katherine Hepburn, that great all-star ensemble. You know, you had Eve Arden, you had um, Lucille Ball, Ann Miller, Andrea Leeds, who I think stole that picture. But Ginger Rogers and Katherine Hepburn in that movie and Stage Door were terrific. You know, you could see that there's been things written about the rivalry that they had, supposedly Catherine Hepburn was not a big fan of Ginger's and vice versa. And it's interesting because you could see that on the screen in their roles. I mean, of course, they're great actresses, but you can see that there was some tension there. And I think that's why their scenes together was, was so percolating. They were really, really impressive and really uh, exciting to watch. So Ginger Rogers, of course, continued. You know, she had some great success there and some two comedies that I definitely recommend in the same year of 1938 is Vivacious Lady with Jimmy Stewart. Right here, Jimmy Stewart is still growing into that role. You know, he was very good, you know, stepping into the comedic roles. But of course, he was still finding his way there. He didn't become the Jimmy Stewart we knew. But you could see it in that picture, what he was to become. And 1938's Having a Wonderful Time with Douglas Fairbanks Jr., another good comedy. But 1939, this is where... Of course, she was approaching her ninth picture with Fred Astaire. She was, of course, getting many accolades for their combos together in the movies. But when you look at 1939, what she was able to accomplish, one of my favorite movies is Bachelor Mother, 1939, with David Niven. Now, that one was a terrific comedy. But now when you're starting to see, Ginger wanted more. She didn't want to just be known as just a dancer uh, comedian. She wanted to also expand and do dramatic roles. So 1939 was a big turning point for her. She had a lot of success there. She continued with that. 1940 was the year where she, of course, became a legend because this is when she won her first Oscar for Best Actress, for Kitty Foyle. Now, I want to do an episode on the Oscars of 1940 because that was one of the most competitive years, but Ginger deserved it. And the reason for it is that 
usually the Oscars, and this continues to this day, most of the time the Oscars, whenever they see an actor who goes against type, does a role that they've never done before, usually, and if the picture's a big hit, they usually win the Academy Award. So obviously looking prior to 1940, Ginger did a lot of comedies, you know, of course the musicals with Fred, but this role was a dramatic role. This was a, a soap opera, te tearjerker, and she excelled in it. She did a terrific job with Dennis Morgan. And of course today it's not considered a classic, but I consider it a classic, of course, because Ginger had arrived. She expanded her craft and now she wanted to move on I'm just doing musicals with Fred, and it, it paid off. It was a good decision, and you got to give her credit for that because back then, most stars, there was a lot of uh, actors and actresses that didn't want to break what had made them successful. They were willing to be typecast. They were not willing to you know, stay in their contracts and not try to fight for roles because they didn't want to ruin the, the money train, so to speak. They wanted to keep those profits going. You know, They have all their reasons for doing so, but... You got to give her credit that she fought and she wanted to do more. She wanted to be great. She wanted to be a legend. And by her striking out that way and expanding her roles, you know, Fred, of course, thought the same way and it worked. Sometimes it doesn't work. And in this case, it did. So she continued on. Now that you're going to go into the second half of her career, what she was able to accomplish, because now here, of course, she still did some comedies. But of course, a lot of them were also mixed with dramatic roles. And she had a lot of hits. Almost all of her catalog, they all were money makers for the studio. She didn't have that period where she had, you know, those uh, decline. Like, for example, some of the great actresses of that era, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, they had a period for a couple of years where, you know, they had uh, unprofitable movies. And of course, the studios, you know, took them to account for that. But ginger for the most part every picture that she did they all were hits for the studios and she acted with some of of course the most distinguished leading men of her day she did pictures with ray milan who's very underrated you know the major and the minor terrific picture carrie grant and once upon a honeymoon and they were able to team up again later on in the 1950s so she continued and then 1944 this is one of my other favorite movies was i'll be seeing you with joseph cotton this one was terrific because Nat Joseph Cotton, of course, was an established leading man, a star, had a lot of success, you know, with Orson Welles, the Mercury Theater, you know, a big star in Hollywood. But this one was good. This was another dramatic role. Ginger Rogers was playing a character, a, a prisoner who was put on furlough, and she was, of course, able to enjoy the holidays. But, of course, knowing how they both were lonely and they were able to strike up a romance. So that was very sentimental. It's a good, I mean, the cinematography, the musical score is terrific. So that's the one that you'll definitely enjoy. I'll be seeing you. And of course, she continued on. Weekend at the Waldorf was also very entertaining. That was a nice combination with Lana Turner, Walter Pigeon. But she continued. She was doing dramas. She was doing comedies. And she continued on in the 1950s. Now, usually most of the actresses that debuted in the early 30s, by this time, their careers started to decline. But with Ginger's, it didn't happen that way. She still was an A-list star. And that's why, again, like I mentioned, when 1949 came, she was able to do that role, The Barclays of Broadway. And according to the writings, the researchers, she was not even considered originally for that role. Originally, Judy Garland was supposed to do that movie with Fred Astaire. It was a vehicle made for them. 
But of course, Judy at that time was struggling with all the personal demons that she had, you know, the drug addiction. There was just so much going on. And of course, she didn't get that role. And of course, Ginger slipped right in and did terrific. And it was a hit for their studio as well. So it was really good, heartwarming to see them in color and see that they still had that chemistry, you know, which great performers usually do. And then she continued on the 1950s. Again, that transition, she still was an A-list star. And one of her better movies at that time was Storm Warning. Now, this one here was like a dramatic thriller. This one had uh, Ronald Reagan and the great Doris Day. But again, she was still an A-list star at the time. And this one, actually, Storm Warning is relevant to our time. You know, this is one that with all the divisions that are happening in this country politically, you know, there's a lot of hate. This movie was a very powerful lesson about, you know, how those things actually are still relevant to, to this day. So that one is one that I think everyone should see. And Ginger, of course, by this time had gained a little bit of weight. She was still beautiful, but she had, you know, transitioned beautifully to the dramatic role. So you could see just how far she had come. You know, at that time, there was other actresses that wanted to from either musicals or comedies to do more dramatic roles. That's what they wanted. They wanted to reinvent themselves, but, you know, they didn't work out for them. You know, one person that comes to mind is Deanna Durbin. You know, she wanted to fight for better roles, but it didn't work out for her. And so she ended up retiring prematurely. But Ginger continued, you know, of course, the reason for it is that almost every movie she did, they were, every movie she did, they were profitable for their studios. So, of course, she continued on. She ended up teaming up with Cary Grant once again in Monkey Business. But this movie, of course, is very noteworthy because this one is good because Cary Grant was actually playing a role similar to the success that he had in Bringing Up Baby in 1938. But of course, this movie is more well-known today. It was a comedy, so she went back to her roots here. But this movie, of course, is more well-known because of Marilyn Monroe, who was in this one. And they had some good scenes, Cary Grant and her, and it was very powerful. You could just understand and appreciate why people were so gravitated to Marilyn. You know, her beauty, she just, the cameras loved her. And so that's one, of course, that you definitely would enjoy, 1952 monkey business. So, you know, again, you look at her legacy, you know, she continued on. And I think one of her better movies in 1954 was Black Widow. And if I had to say my top five movies to see of Ginger apart from her collaborations with Fred Astaire would have to be that one. That's one of the top five. Black Widow. This one was a suspense thriller film noir. The ending is very powerful. And of course, it starts off in a way where you didn't think that the movie, the movie was centered mainly on Van Heflin's character. But of course, Ginger featured prominently in the outcome of this movie. And of course, I don't want to give too much, but... If you haven't seen it, you definitely will enjoy it. That's one of my favorite movies, especially if you want to appreciate it and how New York looked, you know, the, the beauty of it, the landscape, the architecture. At that time, New York was very prominent in the 1950s, so you'll definitely enjoy that. So, of course, she continued on. She had, you know, a long career, over 30 years. She was in it from the beginning, from the transition from the silence to the talkies. She won an Academy Award for Best Actress. You know, so with that longevity, the two halves of her career, the 10 movies that she did with Fred Astaire, she dominated the 30s. She pretty, she did. So if just looking at her body of work in the 1930s, she, that would qualify her as a legend. But there were so many good hits that she did from 1939 to the very end of the 50s. So if I had to look at it right now, I would say 
the three collaborations with Fred Astaire that I recommend the most out of the 10 that she did, and most people would agree, is Top Hat, 1935, Swing Time, 1936, and The Barclays of Broadway. Those three you have to see. If you can't see all of the pictures, and of course I would even throw in Roberta because one of my favorite actors is Irene Dunn is in that one too. So you're going to see a lot of good singing and dancing in that. Now the top five for me that were not collaborations with Fred was number one, Kitty Foyle, 1940. You got to see it's her Oscar winning role. Bachelor Mother in 1939, great comedic role with David Niven. And Hollywood recreated that plot in other movies down the line. So that's why it was very, you know, noteworthy. The Major and the Minor with Ray Milan. That one was terrific. Ginger playing a younger girl was great. So that one's a, a good comedy that I enjoyed personally. And of course, another dramatic role, I'll Be Seeing You, 1944. And the film noir suspense thriller, Black Widow, 1954. Those are the top five. If you want to get a good grasp of Ginger and her catalog, I think those are the top five to see. And of course, I'm sure you'll disagree because she had so many good movies. So it's definitely, it's definitely debatable. But for me, those are her top five performances. So, you know, you got to appreciate, you know, all that she accomplished. You know, Academy Award winner, um, legendary dancer with Fred Astaire. You know, she was with uh, RKO Studios in the early 30s. So she featured prominently in the uh, how Hollywood became the golden age. She was one of the centerpieces instrumental and all that success so definitely if you get a chance you definitely want to explore her body of work you know in american film institute's list of 25 greatest screen legends in 1999 it was 25 actors 25 actresses she was one of the top 25 and rightfully so she earned that distinction i still think she's a little underrated because i feel like people focus too much on her career with Fred, and while they were terrific movies, very entertaining, exciting, but she was so much more than that. She had a long uh, longevity, good body of work, a lot of signature roles, uh, comedy, dramatic roles. She was definitely a triple threat. So, you know, great comedian, good dramatic actress, and of course, a great dancer. And at that time, Hollywood needed that in order you had to be able to reinvent yourself and she definitely did that. So, of course, you know, Ginger Rogers, one of the greatest actresses in Hollywood history, and definitely needs to be remembered for all that she accomplished. And it's good to know that her body of work will continue to be remembered and appreciated by future generations of movie fans. So thank you so much for listening in on this episode. And I hope you all are doing well during this pandemic. And if you want to support my podcast, you can look me up on Patreon.com. Look me up on the Classic Hollywood Memories. And, you know, I'm glad you're enjoying this podcast. And thank you so much and look forward to next time.